Hey everyone, and welcome to Social Sport. I'm your host, Emma Zimmerman, and this show is a member of the Sidious Mag Podcast Network. On this show, I feature conversations with endurance athletes committed to fostering social change. Okay, stick with me as I tell you something groundbreaking. Are you ready? Sports are not the center of the world, not when we consider all of the big topics and issues that exist in this world. But at the same time, sports are the center of the world. Endurance sports provide us with a great avenue to explore the topics that really matter, from climate change to mental health to equity and inclusion. So come along as my guests and I explore one question. How are endurance sports a powerful platform for social change? Lucy Bartholomew is a 25-year-old ultra runner living in Melbourne, Australia. She runs professionally for Solomon Running. She joined the sport of ultra running at a very young age. She was just 15 when she ran 100 kilometers with her dad. Since then, her accolades have included setting the course record at the Ultra Trail Australia Championship and claiming a third place finish at the 2018 Western States 100-mile race. Recently, she also set the fastest known time, FKT, on the Lara Pinta Trail, which you'll hear about in this episode. And beyond her running accomplishments, Lucy is just a fabulous person doing fabulous things for the world. She acts as quite the role model for young distance runners in the way she talks about body image and food and just doing you. And she's also an incredible steward of the environment, especially through her plant-based cookbook, Sustain. You'll hear all about that and more in this conversation with Lucy. Hey, Lucy, welcome to Social Sport. I'm really excited to have you on. I feel like it's been a long time coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm glad we could uh, tee this up. I know. So can you introduce yourself to everyone? Tell them who you are, where you are right now, and what you're passionate about. Yeah, so my name is Lucy Bartholomew. I'm 25 years old. I'm currently in Melbourne, Australia, uh, which is where I grew up. Uh, it's in the middle of winter at the moment or at the start of winter and it's very cold. Um, and what am I passionate about? I'm passionate about, uh, I run professionally, so I obviously love running and I love being on the trails and specifically ultra running. So anything above that marathon distance up to that hundred miles. Um, and I just love, I love the outdoors. I love plant-based eating. I love community. Um, I love my family and my dog. Uh, yeah, the list goes on. Amazing. So many different things. And I'm excited to dive into so much of it. But first of all, I always feel like it's just so weird to me whenever I'm speaking with someone in such a different time zone. It's 9am for you right there. And it's 7pm the day before for me. So I always feel like I have to make like some lame joke about like, how is it on Monday? Like what's going on in the future? What have you been up to this morning? Did you just wake up? Where are you at today? Yeah, honestly, the future's looking good for you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just woke up, really. I I had motivation to go and walk my dog, but I just needed the sleep more than I think my dog needed a walk. So my dad's taken the dog, and I just had some tea and made myself at least a little presentable to speak to you on Zoom. <laughs> well, you look fabulous. 
But I want to start talking about some of your recent successes. I want to congratulate you because this spring you set the FKT on the Lara Pinta Trail in Central Australia, which for anyone who doesn't know, that's a 138-mile trail. Super exciting. I know it was a pretty grueling adventure. How does it feel to have that FKT to your name now? Yeah, thank you. It, um, you know, it was never kind of the, I didn't set out looking for the FKT. I, I didn't even set out thinking that I would run the whole trail. I was just kind of, after coming out of a pretty strict lockdown, was just looking for uh, the ability to run for as long as I liked, as far as I liked. And it just kind of was one of those days where when you have the support from the right people um, and the weather's good and yeah, there was a lot of challenges, but it was kind of nothing that kind of felt like, you know, this was a bad idea. Um, but yeah, it's a super honor. That trail, um, you know, it kind of was something I've always wanted to do. Didn't think it was going to be in my near future. I mm-hmm. thought it would be something when I was a lot older. And then now it's just become such a huge part that Alice Springs community, the Northern Territory, the desert, um, a place that I've never known about or never been uh, is now just like ingrained in me and to be creating a film on it that's coming out soon mm. we just kind of keep reliving it as we go through the footage um, and yeah it means a lot it was it was definitely um, I earned that SKT I would say. So first of all you said a film on the trail or on your successful FKT on the trail is that what the film is about? Yeah, so it's going to be a Solomon running film, um, all about kind of the trip to Alice Springs to the Lara Pinta, the the run itself, and mainly the whole concept is the community that uh, is out there in the desert, because we were all in isolation, and we all live so close to each other in Melbourne or around the world, and this uh, city is always in isolation, it's geographically isolated, and the strength of the community because of that. Well, that sounds amazing, and I'm really excited to watch it when it comes out. You'll have to, I'm sure you'll be posting it on social media and everything, but I'm looking forward to seeing that. But I want to kind of dive into the nitty gritty a little bit of that because you mentioned you had support from a lot of people out there. And I was reading the Instagram captions from that journey, from that run. And I know a friend of yours was following along and posting on Instagram. I just want to read one of those captions. It said, quote, Another evening of wildly overgrown terrain, rocky gorge sections, consistent hallucinations, unclear route markings, which were few and far between. And then at 35 hours, Luce has her first sleep, a restorative two minutes laying down on the riverbank, followed by a one minute snooze. That sounds absolutely brutal. Was that an accurate representation of the experience? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we didn't do a whole lot of research into the trail, but what we did know is that it hadn't been traversed prior to me doing it because of COVID. The trail was Mm -hmm. shut down. So they had this mass amount of rain. They had grass just sprouted up to kind of like shoulder waist high on me. And uh, it was super hard to find the, the markings because of that. And then, yeah, it was just... You know, it wasn't ideal timings in terms of the hiking season doesn't start till like a month later. So we had really hot temperature, but it was kind of one of those things where if I waited for the right time, I never would have gone because Mm -hmm. the right time was never going to match up with a good time for me and the hiking season and, and then my crew. So I had two, when I say I had a lot of support, I only had 
two guys with me on the trail. Um, but the Alice Springs community came out for the last 20 Ks um, and then the support from online. But in the flesh, I had two guys who for 54 hours followed me along this trail and had never seen this kind of thing before. So it was pretty incredible that they, uh, they also made it. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it was obviously grueling, but also a super invigorating experience. And I hope you're super proud of that accomplishment as well. So I want to go. Good. So I want to go back in time a little bit. Some folks listening, probably many folks listening are aware of your background that you had a pretty early rise to professional trail running and you've had such a successful and exciting career I know you competed, uh, completed your first 100-kilometer race with your dad at 15 years old. What do you remember about that very first trail race? Yeah, yeah. It's been it's 10 years in the sport now, which is just insane as a 25-year-old. Um, that first 100K, you know, it was something that I seen my dad do 100K um, a few months prior, and I saw... Uh, I went and watched him do it and I saw just this kind of the vast um, differences that, that you had of people who were, you know, just kind of uh, wanting to win and moving fast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were elites. And then you had the middle of the pack who would just kind of head down like my dad, you know, they had day jobs and were just getting the running in. And then you had the back of the pack and you had just, you know, people that were just kind of kind of hiking and just had, you know, a cake in one hand, a can and coke at the other, trying to make a selfie in the mountain. And I was just like, this is a sport, like this is amazing. Um, and as a, a then 14 year old, I was just really kind of like, you know, you're, it very much showed me that it didn't matter what you looked like, you could do this. And I think that's what really drew me in. Mm. Um, so then I came back from that race and found the, the only race in Australia that would let a um, 15 year old run. And it was an amazing experience. It came with its own challenges and it was kind of the first of many um, in that because I was so young, it was kind of a new uh, path. You know, people hadn't run a hundred Ks at 15 um, and it wasn't no- normal in Australia. So there was a lot of media attention around it. There was a lot of controversy over whether I should be allowed to do it, whether my dad was a bad parent for letting me mm. do it. Um, and so when I stood on that start line of that 100K, my dad kind of said, you know, Lucy, you need to smile your whole way through this because there's a lot of people out there that want to pull you out just to be right because it's, you know, it's not normal what you're doing. It's not considered socially acceptable but it was kind of that first hurdle of like if I really want to do this I need to put my best foot forward I need to just kind of put other people's opinions aside and I need to just smile because I love what I'm doing and I'm doing it because yeah I love what I do and it seems like I mean you've had such a long career now and you're only 25 years old you must have really showed those people who were uh, critiquing you and your father at that point but I can imagine as a 15 year old girl it wasn't easy to hear all of that criticism how did you mentally deal with that yeah it was really challenging I think one of the hardest things was that the, the female race ambassador she pulled out of being the ambassador and kind of as a she's quite a well-known runner and put out a statement saying that 
And I just felt very like unsupported by, you know, someone who I looked up to. And then the other thing was that there was a group of 15, 16 year old girls from a school that were walking it. But the fact that they said that they were going to walk the 100 Ks, that was okay. But the, the, because I wanted to take two feet off the ground at some point and run, it was kind of like, no, that's, that's too much. You know, the world's not ready for that. And so I think, you know, mentally, I was so lucky to have my dad by my side. And I just really focused on like, I'll do me, people can think about what they want about me. Um, And, you know, we finished in 12 and a half hours, we had an amazing day. And uh, I returned the next year and was able to allowed to run solo. And I ran nine and a half hours. And I think people were just like, wow, you know, she she has talent for this and she also just like, she must really love it. If a year on, she still wants to do it again. I love what you just said about I'm going to do me. And that was your mindset at such a young age, really. Has that carried you throughout the sport? Because I think, you know, we see young girls who are really competitive in different distances, different disciplines of running uh, at a young age, and then they burn out. But you have not, you've really prevented that. And I wonder whether that has to do with that. I'm doing me mindset. What would you attribute that to? Is that correct? That's a mindset thing. How do you look at that? Yeah, I would definitely say, you know, like my, the way I kind of go about life and my choices and my things is like, I'll do me and you do you. And if you want to support me, that's great. And if you don't, then that's cool too, but you just go do you and Mm -hmm. that's it. Um, I think that it's, it definitely, um, there was, there's been moments in the sport when I've been impacted by other people and I've tried to do things, I've done things that I wouldn't do normally because I felt like I, I needed to, I pressured to. So it's definitely something that I've come back to, but, um, yeah, it's not an easy thing. It's, it's easy to say. It's not sometimes easy to do in, uh, in the world we live in. So what would you say to young girls who are maybe getting competitive in trail running or maybe just a different discipline of running who want to make sure that they prevent burnout and they can be running strong like you at age 25? What would you say to them? I think I would just say, you know, really understand your why in the sport. What I found is that when I started, you know, I was doing it because I wanted to share time with my dad. I wasn't doing it to to be the first, to be the youngest. Um, You know, my why was because I I wanted to spend time with my dad. We got to go for fun weekends away. It was never about the running or the distances and the numbers. You know, when my why kind of, when it became my job, things started to change. And that's Mm -hmm. where I kind of, you know, I probably felt more of the pressure and the you do you and I'll do me type thing kind of shifted a little bit. And it's, I had to kind of come back to, you know, I'm not doing this to make money and to, to be a big deal and to, you know, like I do, I still love it. I'm still doing it because I just love the community and I love the adventure and I love being outdoors. Um, So I would say to someone who's young, just kind of understand why you're doing it and just realize that when you dedicate yourself to something, you do sacrifice other stuff and just kind of understand like, if that's, is that worth it? Is that kind of like, do you feel like that's going to add to your life? And rather than thinking about what you can take from the sport, think about what you can give to it or to any sport. Mm, I love that. That's great advice. And 
talking about advice for young girls, I know you've given some advice to young girls in the past, specifically related to body image. You've been such a strong advocate for positive body image for runners. And I'm going to read another quote. I'm all about the quotes today, apparently, but I know you were quoted in Runner's World Mag recently. This short passage says, Bartholomew has a message for young girls or anyone who thinks they have to look a certain way to be a good runner. Fuck that. Be proud of who you are, the legs that you stand on, the arms that swing to propel you forward, the heart that beats to your own drum, the lungs that fill and release to breathe in every moment, and the head on your shoulders that gives you the choice to decide what you allow in and what you don't. That is so beautiful. It almost brings me to tears. I'm curious, are you actually at a point where you feel like you can say, fuck that, to negative aspects of the running culture? Because I'm sure it's a hard thing to do. Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I think I ebb and flow into feeling like that. There's days where I'm like, nothing can hurt me. Your words mean nothing to me. It's just only about how I feel. And then there's days where you did this a little comment on an Instagram post can just unravel me. And I think the the important thing to realize is that like, we're not people, you shouldn't be trying to aim for like this. I think the whole idea of body positivity, that's great. But I also think that it is unrealistic to be body positive every day. And I think instead, if we're just like body neutral and we're just kind of like, cool, this is what it is. You are how you are you are you that's cool like and instead of trying to be like you have to love yourself and just like wear the you know sports bra and walk around and be proud and it's mm. I think it's unrealistic for for girls and, and guys to feel like that every day but I think instead we're just if we wake up and say cool I'm here today this is me today like it or not this is where I am and I think that's more of a sustainable uh point to get to I love that so much and I could not agree more. I think there's such a focus on this body positivity in running and just otherwise in so many different realms. And in a way, I think it can be counterproductive because it's so unrealistic and almost a pressure to reach this unrealistic point, which probably just mentally affects people even more, I can imagine. Absolutely. So how did you get to that point of recognizing, okay, I'm going to do me. I'm going to have good days. I'm going to have bad days, good moments, less good moments. Cause I know you struggled quite a bit with an eating disorder and body image as a younger person, as a teenager, I believe. So what got you to that point, the point where you're at now? Yeah. So I, I had an eating disorder before I was into the running before I was 15. So when I was quite young and then finding running was something that really kind of helped me. It was, which sounds crazy, but it was like running was something that, um, you know, when I was allowed to, when I was able to run, it was like, Oh, okay. I feel strong. I feel empowered. I feel like I'm confident. I was doing it as an act of love rather than like self sabotage or destruction. Mm. Um, and then because I was sharing it with my dad, you know, it wasn't even about the running. It was more about the, we'd go away camping, we'd go to cafes and it was just a really healthy relationship. We'd move our body, then we'd rest our bodies. We'd laugh along the way. Um, and then when running became a bit more of like uh, a bigger part of my life and became my, my job and my career and something that I was known for in my title when people would meet me or if they, you know, it was kind of like Lucy the runner and 
that was cool and everything, but it came with like this stigma of what I should look like. And I would definitely looking back and hindsight's a beautiful thing would say that I fell back into that kind of same body image issue um, in the sport. But the thing is, is that when you have a following of 90,000 people on social media, you have 90,000 opinions on what you look like, what you eat, how you are, how you act. And that's not an easy thing to do. Um, And every day I get messages, every day there's comments, I put posts up, that's the way social media works. And so every day, you know, I read every comment that's written on my social media, and that's a choice that, that I make. And sometimes I do need to just probably not do that. And take space away from it but I appreciate that people take the time and you know I a lot of that you know 90 99% of that that is beautiful comments and really lovely people but the ability to kind of have that thicker skin and not take it personally when someone says something about you is something really challenging but for me it's kind of like when I read that now it's kind of I talk to my maybe my dad or a friend and I just say you know this is what they said and it's usually you know like Lucy do you think that's true if the answer is no then like who cares really you know and that person is sitting on the other side on their keyboard saying something about you when they have no idea what you're going through and what you've been through and uh, I think that that's kind of where I'm at now where it's just kind of like I don't always have to speak to someone because I can ask myself that question and go do you feel that way? Do you think that's true? Like, is that an accurate um, comment or is that just someone who has no idea and is just, uh, you know, stirring the pot? Yeah, such important advice. And I hate to harp on your age because we're the same age. So I don't mean to be like, as a young (laughs) athlete, but because you've been in the sport since you were quite young, I think it is worth harping on because You've been in the public eye. You've been receiving comments from fans and people who feel strongly about the sport since you were quite young. And I just want to highlight what a strong sense of self self it must take to be able to see those comments from a young age and be able to learn that skill of reminding yourself what you actually believe, what how you know, how do you feel about yourself? That's just super impressive. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. And I think that it comes like all those things that you learn come from like uh, the really hard times, which there's been so many of them and there still are like, there's still things that people will say that tick me off. And, you know, I'm a pretty kind of reactive person and I just get really like really sad or really angry or really, you know, and it can really wane on me, but it's just kind of having those tools in those toolbox to not let it weigh you down for too long. But at the same time, like embracing those feelings of going, wow, that really hurt me. Why do you think that hurt me? And just kind of understanding that. It's interesting that you use the word, I think it was reactionary, that you that you react to things. And I, from following you and speaking with you, I get a sense that you, you give off a more easygoing sense. And I think that a lot of runners get a bad rap for being super rigid and super detail oriented and maybe type A. And I don't necessarily get that sense from you. I get the sense that you bring a sense of adventure and play into your running, even though you are achieving at such a high level. Is that a true statement? Is that something you see in yourself? 
Yeah, definitely. I think I'm like my, my coach is where it's nightmare. And a, a lot of people are like, God, she's just like a leaf in the wind. And that's how I am. You know, I, I live a life that is, you know, by any means pretty selfish. You know, at the moment I'm 25. I'm normally traveling the world. I have not even a pet plant to look after. You know, I can just, I do me and I can look after that. And at the same time, you know, the people around me, I will love them hard and my, my tribe of friends and followers and family are just they mean everything to me but um yeah I would definitely say I'm not rigid I'm more about you know how do I feel today that's how I'll train and you know I don't really like to put like hard boundaries on where I should be what I should be doing um just because I've I've kind of been there you know when I fell into that trap of about three years two years ago in the sport where I was so dedicated to the sport that I just had blinkers on and nothing else mattered and yes I achieved great results but to the sacrifice of like not having like great relationships with my family not seeing my friends and not being a 25 year old like I want to be this sport for as long as I can and I just know that's not sustainable not for me anyway Mm -hmm sustainability is I think such an important word in that because we see often I think short-term results coming from that rigidity and it's just yeah I think so important to highlight that word sustainability and that like yeah maybe you can see short-term results from for a a short amount of time but really if you're not taking care of your happiness and your relationships what does that mean in the long term you can't really be successful that way in the long term and I think you are such a strong example of that of someone who's taking care of their happiness and their their need to adventure and play and have close relationships nearby you so i commend you for that and the model that you're setting through that as well so oh thank you of course so you've mentioned your dad a few times in this and i know that you got in the sport because of your dad it seems like you are very close with him how has your relationship with your dad evolved throughout the past 10 years that you have been in the sport? Yeah, I mean, well, we ran that first 100K together and that was, it was a beautiful thing. Uh, I don't think we've run a race together since (laughs) Um, because we really started to, you know, he was like, wow, okay, you know, she's uh, a lot faster and, but we get to experience running in different ways. And I love that we can, go to a race and stand on the same start line and then come together at the finish line. And we have different uh, stories of different journeys across the same track, or um, he comes and paces, uh, sorry, cruise me. And, you know, he's there to kind of push me out of the, the checkpoints and make sure I'm moving and feeding, eating well. And he's just, he's an amazing inspiration. You know, he turned 60 this year and he's just, still grinding out the K's and just being like someone who gets up and gets at it. He's just as relaxed as I am. It's the two of us together in lockdown has been just the most airy fairy thing ever. But <laughs> he, um, yeah, he's, he's just such a good dude. He's such a good uh, role model to me of someone who just, you know, chases what sets his heart on fire and wants to do big things and dream big and, it just kind of shows that if you can do that at 60, like, why do I need to be putting so much pressure on at 25? Like, yeah, but he's, uh, yeah, he's a good man. 
Amazing. Yeah. And also a good reminder that you have so many decades left in the sport and to keep enjoying this as well, if he's doing all of that at 60. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally. So I want to switch over right now to talking about the Sustain cookbook, which you were so kind to send me a copy of. I love your cookbook. And I just want to hear a little bit more about it. I mean, the title Sustain to me can mean two things, sustainability from a planet and environmental perspective, and then sustain your body and your life from a fueling or athletic perspective. How do these two considerations play into the way you eat and cook? Yeah, well, you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly where the um, the title came from, was that it was you know, to be sustainable, like you were just speaking about, is to be able to do something for a long period of time. Um, and so, you know, as an athlete, you need to, to eat to fuel the engine so that you can continually play and train and, and be a part of life and, and part of the outdoors and sport. And then the sustainability from the environmental side is that it's a, a plant-based cookbook. Um, it's all about kind of you know, like you buy a whole pumpkin and you can mm-hmm. use that to make pumpkin soup. You can use that to make pumpkin brownies. You can use that to, to make all these different things. And it kind of gives life to this ingredient multiple times rather than, yeah, getting a pumpkin and going, I'm eating pumpkin soup for the next four weeks at this rate. Um, so it's just kind of like, for me, I'm all about sustainability, be that in the environmental sense, be that in the health and fitness sense um and mental health like everything for me is like I don't need to be the best at everything I don't want to be not trying at all but I just want to be in the middle and just kind of every day waking up and trying to do something that challenges me and something that helps me grow and um that's where the cookbook came from so cool so going back to the environmental piece of that word sustainability where does that passion for environmental sustainability come from? I think for me, the outdoors and the environmental and the ethical, you know, when you use the outdoors and the trails as your office, as a professional athlete, when it's kind of your playground, like you say, to go and play, it's your church, you know, like every Sunday, go for my long run. Um, church of the Sunday long kind of your- run. Sunday long run and you um you know you run through these environments and when you kind of see that and you're part of it and you just appreciate it you want to protect it you know it's a natural instinct to want to to keep it there and when you look into it some of the best ways to do that are just through like following a plant-based diet and um you know trying to be a little more environmentally conscious with you know single-use plastics or um how you move around the world and stuff like that. And no one's perfect, but I, uh, I definitely just kind of try and do something as much as I can within reason to, uh, to protect that space. Totally. And I think that, I mean, it seems like for you, it almost is such a natural mind process. I don't know if it's always been that way, but you give that pumpkin example, which I think is such a strong example of, you know, you're using every piece of this pumpkin, you know, maybe you're using it to make this sweet treat, but you're also putting it in your oatmeal or I don't know exactly what examples you use, but you're using all of a thing. You're not wasting. I think for some people that is not a natural mindset. And so 
what I think is really important about having a book like yours is it teaches people who may not have that cognizance how to have that cognizance. So how did you, I guess, create this cookbook in a way that you're showing your lifestyle, but you also want to make it accessible to other people who might not necessarily be of or be used to the same practices? Because I read it as a very accessible cookbook. I think it really appeals to a wide range of people. Yeah. So the whole, my like love for cooking, when my mom moved back to the UK, um, I started doing all the cooking in the house and I would go to the shops and I would have, I'd use my money to buy the the ingredients and plant-based foods are a lot cheaper. So I would buy those because I knew that I could feed me and my brother and my dad um, a lot more if I bought the beans and the, the root vegetables and stuff. And then, you know, I, I consider myself, I can cook. I know how to chop things. I know how to stir fry. I know how to do all that stuff. But I, I'm very basic in my, um, the methods, in the ingredients. I don't want to spend all day in the kitchen. Um, I just want to make something quick. I want to enjoy it. I want to, um, yeah, I don't want to have to buy lots of ingredients. I don't want to have to use lots of, you know, gidgets and gasmos. I just want to kind of be quick and be nutritious. Um, and then when I started doing a, following a vegan diet or a plant-based diet, I really wanted to make sure that my dad and my brother didn't miss out on like having delicious things. Like I'm happy eating oatmeal that is just kind of looks like cement, but I think that's delicious, but they don't. And so it was kind of the challenge of, all right, well, you know, how can we, how can we make pizza that makes everyone happy? How can we have pasta that makes everyone happy? And that's where the kind of with the cookbook is that the base of it is plant-based and that's what, that's what I eat and that's what I enjoy. But by no means does it mean that you, you can't put cheese on top of the pizza or you can't um, add sour cream to the nachos. Like you do you, whatever makes you happy makes you thrive because for me, food's such a, you know, it's definitely a very um, topical thing to talk about and it makes, it definitely divides people and it brings people together. But if you're stressing about what you're eating, then it doesn't matter what you eat, whether that's a piece of lettuce or it's a piece of pizza, it's not going to serve you because your body is in this state of stress. And so for me, the cookbook is about like this, hope these recipes are what makes my family happy, be that someone who's vegan, someone who's not, someone who's gluten-free, someone who's not, so that we can all come together and just have a nice meal. I love what you said about how food can be some, something that unites you or divides you. And so much of what you're saying rings true. I mean, on a personal level, as a mostly plant-based person, I see that. I, I find a lot of people saying to me, how do I eat vegetarian? How do I eat vegan? Um, you know, because I really love meat or I really love cheese and and I don't know how to do it. And I appreciate when you and other people say, like, well, you don't have to do it all the time. You know, you can eat more plant-based, but but getting away from that rigidity, I think is really important for a number of reasons. And it makes me wonder more about your values in plant-based eating. Uh, why is it important for you to be plant-based and what does that mean for you? Yeah. So for me, I think, you know, like I said, when I look at things that I can do, like every day you go to the, when you go to the supermarket, you have a choice. Every day you have these choices you make. And 
when I looked into kind of like how can I better serve the environment and look after it and how can I do small things to my life that can have a greater impact on the world and one of the biggest things is eating a plant-based diet and like you say it's not about doing plant-based perfectly it's just about doing plant-based one meal a day one day a week Um, and I kind of just amplified that because I just loved it so much I just feel really at peace with it I love the food I'm happy it's like it's nourishing it's nutritious but it's also delicious and it's it you know I I don't deprive myself of the Mm. things that I love yeah I think it's just from that I just kind of I want to when I could go to the supermarket and I have to put money in I don't want to be supporting um the very unethical uh, practices of meat and dairy and stuff and that's just my choice and everyone else has their own choice to make when they go so you do you and I'll do me (laughs) 100% I think that's so important and you know, speaking of those unethical practices, what would you say to someone who similarly doesn't want to support the unethical practices, the unethical industries of meat and dairy, which they can read so much more into? We don't need to go into detail on what those unethical practices are right now, unless you want to, of course. But what would you say to someone who is thinking about that, who maybe wants to try to eat more plant-based, but for whatever reason, maybe they're in a family where the others in their family don't eat plant-based for whatever reason it is difficult. They're coming up against barriers. What would you say? Yeah, I think, um, you know, growing up, I I was in the same kind of position. Like when my mom was, was living with us and she was very much like meat and three veg. And, you know, especially cause I was running it when I was running, she was like, you can't be a female and you can't be a runner without having meat in your diet. Um, and like, I've, whenever I've been, told that kind of thing it's been like you know tell me I can't and I'll show you I can type thing so I think that there's always a way where there's a will there's a way and you know if you're in a family that eats meat you know kind of take that that same thing where ask if you can have the the base of it be plant-based and then you add your meat separately or something like don't you don't want to be a a complete nuisance. And I totally have felt that there's been times where I've traveled and been like, Oh, I'm such a pain in the bum to all these people. But if you believe in it and you're confident in it and it means a lot to you, then it should mean a lot to the people around you. Um, And I would just say, you know, just create simple habits that allow yourself to always have food available. You know, uh, most of my money that I make goes into buying food that I have that near me and what I want and I think that you need to invest in yourself you know like it's just kind of put money into getting the food that you want put it in the fridge and just have that accessible and eat what you want to eat your audio cut out for a second but I think we got it all oh Oh, okay sorry (laughs) no no you're totally good it just I think it was just delayed for a second but we're perfect. And I think that is, that is super important advice. And I love what you mentioned about your mom and that common dialogue of, you know, females cannot be vegetarian or vegan or plant-based because they won't get enough of X, Y, and Z. And I think it points so much back to our previous dialogue when we were talking about the criticism of you running at a young age and also the stereotypes on what a female runner's body is supposed to look like. I think so much of it points back to the fact that there's so little information on uh, 
women running, particularly young women, and how to support young female athletes' needs. And I think again and again, we keep coming to that conclusion. And I just think it's an important thing to highlight how much that connects to so many different things, your your values with food and um, handling criticism and body image and just the need for more research to know more about female athletes and what they need. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Do you ever come up against that in your own training? Uh, definitely. You know, I'm definitely in the minority of life. You know, I run ultra marathons as a 20, uh, 25 year old. I don't drink alcohol. I follow a, a vegan diet. I've never had a coffee in my life. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. So all these things, um, you know, I'm not in the majority. So it's this kind of, these are my values. These are things that I choose to do and choose to live. And yeah, it's kind of like I surround myself with people who support that and don't try and um, pressure me to be anything different or um, to try to, to do that stuff. So it's just kind of, uh, yeah, definitely a lot of challenges, but I just learned that if you do anything with confidence, anything, you wear a new hairstyle with confidence, you wear a new t-shirt with confidence, you say you don't drink alcohol, people are like, oh, wow, she owns that, sick, and then it's fine. Um so that's kind of where I'm at. I'm just like, you say anything. I could tell you can tell people complete lies with confidence. And you're like, oh yes. The um the elephant actually has, you know, like seven tails. Everyone's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. That's like an incredible tagline for this conversation. And for you, it seems like. So if people want to support you, it seems like you have a great support system of people who allow you to be confident and do you. But if people want to support you and your work, where can they purchase the Sustained Cookbook? Yeah, so the Sustained Cookbook, there's an e-version and that's available on my website. And then the hard copy version is the link in my bio. The Instagram is currently selling it, but there's only... Uh, we're doing just the last run of them because they're printed on um, recycled paper. And so they are quite a, <laughs> a costly thing in Australia totally. to do. And that's kind of where you can get the cookbook. And the ebook is amazing. I would so recommend it. Uh, please check it out. I have it myself and couldn't recommend it more. I really appreciate how it goes into the staples and the basics because it is much more accessible on a day-to-day basis. Do you have a favorite... Uh, recipe in it I would say my favorite recipe would be the turmeric granola um Mm. I love granola and I yeah I could eat a box of it no problem so to make my own it's uh it's really really nice and it's just all my favorite things in one awesome yeah turmeric and granola two things I love so amazing people have to check that out so one more question before we start to wrap up what are you excited for right now? Any big goals in running or life? Any other cookbooks coming our way? What's on your mind? Uh, well, I'm actually super excited. I am meant to be, I am doing an Ironman in December. So cycling, swimming, and running. Um, I signed up just the other week. And I kind of just wanted to, I love running, always will. But I also love swimming. I come from surfing and from the ocean. And I just felt like I needed to just dial back the running a little bit. And 
I can't leave, we can't leave Australia with the current travel restrictions. And I thought, why not just do something completely different this year? And um, yeah, so I went to my first long cycle yesterday, which was (laughs) kind of opened my eyes to what my bum is going to feel like when I (laughs) spend so long (laughs) on a bike. Um, But yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to tapping into that community and um, you know, sharing long bike rides with people and going for swims in the ocean and, and also running and just kind of, yeah, playing in some different sports. Again, we go back to that adventurous, fun mindset and also just doing you. I think it's so cool that you can be, you know, a world-class trail runner and then just decide you want to do an Ironman. I think that's so exciting and so cool and unique. Uh, thank you. I mean, I, I think it's it's pretty funny because people are like, oh, you know, so you want to compete in the Ironman? And I was, I'm like, no, I just want to survive this. Like, I'm a novice. I'm back to being a, a newbie in the sport, which is so cool because I feel like, you know, in the sport of trail running, people come to me asking for uh, answers to their questions. And now I get to, to just be the, the newbie and just ask people lots of questions and learn. Awesome. I'm so excited to see what you do in the sport. Even though you're talking yourself down, I'm excited. You could do some amazing things in the sport if you want to. So so we'll see. You'll have to keep us all updated and keep posting on social media and share the journey, as I'm sure you will. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. So I have a few rapid fire questions before we're done. What is your favorite thing to eat mid-trail race? Uh, mid-trail race, my favorite thing to eat would be watermelon. <laughs> okay, a little tangent. I've seen this watermelon thing everywhere. I feel like you're known for that. When did that start? Is it just a food you absolutely love? No, Well, yes, it is something that I love. Um, but it all started when I did the Old Trail Cape Town in South Africa. Um, it's 100 Ks, and I very early on, my stomach just would not take gels. And so I ended up just fueling on watermelon. And I would leave these checkpoints with like my hands just full of pieces of watermelon. And I put them in my pack so that I could fuel until the next checkpoint. And um, I was on national TV in Australia and it said, you know, Lucy Bartholomew. And usually at the bottom, it says like Ultra Trail Cape Town winner Mm -hmm. or Ultra Runner. And instead it said, known for her excessive amounts of eating watermelon and so then it just became my thing and um yeah we brought out t-shirts of watermelons I get gifted them everywhere I go now um and I think I have anything that's got watermelon watermelon on it I've been sent you know I've got like tea towels pencil cases books I'm just (laughs) it's my fruit of uh it's my spirit fruit I think Amazing. Amazing. So, hey, maybe that's the secret. Anyone running their first uh, ultra, just bring some watermelon. That's the secret, apparently. Absolutely. It's not going to hurt you. (laughs) No. Is there a place that you dream of running that you've never run before? I would love to run in Antarctica, which sounds so strange, but I think it's a place that I don't think will be like the same as it ever has been. So I kind of want to see it before it deteriorates too much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it might not be the same, but hopefully we can, um, save it to a certain extent if we, if we start acting in a more aggressive way on climate. So pivoting a little bit, a more positive note, any book you've read or movie you've watched during the past year that has been most compelling to you? 
Oh, I just read um, the book called The Lost Art of Running, which I normally don't read books on running because running is such a big part of my life. I like to read to kind of escape. But I thought it was an amazing book. Of kind of, uh, it talks about traveling around the world and the way the Kenyans run and the way the Japanese and just kind of, um, yeah, it definitely gave me a lot to think about and like the way we run and why we run and how important that not only like how we move our legs is important, but it's also like how we talk to ourselves and think about, you know, the best runners in the world say that they run proud and that they run positive. Mm. And I don't think that there are words that would spring to mind when I think of the way I run, I would say I shuffle and I, (laughs) you know, I eat. (laughs) But that's not true. You also run so positive. Because, you know, even when we talk about the eating, we talk about the watermelon stuff, it all boils down to this this mindset of positivity and happiness and having fun. So I beg to differ. I think that you run happy <laughs> and you run proud. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so what are you most proud of? I would say I'm most proud of my relentless relentlessness in the sport um there's been like like I said many challenges many times you know where I've just gone you know I could just go to university go sit at a desk you know I could go and do what is considered normal and I just you know keep hacking away at this trail this path that I'm trying to to pave for other young especially female athletes and kind of just you know, make the good of what I can. Um, so I think I'm, I'm most proud of that I haven't given up when it's felt like there's been a million reasons to mm. do that. That's awesome. That's beautiful. So the last question I ask everyone, Lucy, is why is sport a powerful platform for social change? Oh, that's a, <laughs> sport is so powerful in what it does to not only one person, but what it does to a community. And I think that we've seen that in this pandemic time is that, you know, like running was never banned. You, you know, in Australia, yeah, you had a distance radius and you had a time limit, but it was something that we could all do and it united us. It was kind of like, let's all get on Zoom and do a workout. Let's Mm -hmm. like, you know, do all these little challenges and sport. It enables us to, it breaks us down to a vulnerable state. It puts us in a position where we're all feeling fatigue and we all sweat and we're all tired, but we all have the endorphins. And that kind of unitedness allows change to happen. It brings people together and it, yeah, it brings us to a place where no one is above anyone and no one is below everyone. When we're doing sport, we're all in this together and we work a whole lot better when we do it together. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Lucy. You are an incredible person, an incredible role model to young athletes. And uh, just thank you for everything that you're doing for the community and for the world. I'm excited to keep following along. Oh, wow, Emma. Thank you so much for having me on and this podcast and what you bring people. I appreciate it so much. And I know others do too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Social Sport. You can find the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes wherever you are listening or at citiesmag.com in the podcasts tab under Social Sport. 
If you want more social sport, you can sign up for the monthly newsletter, which I really enjoy writing, and that's over at socialsport.substack.com. And you can also follow along on Instagram at socialsportpod. Finally, if you want to help me out and support the show, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review for social sport. That would make my day. I mean it. I mean, I read every review and I'm so grateful for all of them. All right, everyone, have a great week. Stay sporty and keep resisting. <laughs>